It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into another Locked On crossover edition. Locked On Pacers, Locked On Thunder, a meeting of fate between two terrible teams this season. If you told me right now, or sorry, if you told me before the season that on January 27th, we'd be talking about a 32-loss Pacers team versus a 33-loss Thunder team, I think a lot of Pacers fans would be panicking about the state of their season. So let's talk about this upcoming game, a big game For the loss column, a big game for two teams on completely different paths with the trade deadline just under two weeks away. I'm Tony East, the host of Locked On Pacers, and joining me to talk Pacers and Thunder and trades and team-building strategies and the minutiae of building a competent NBA roster, Mr. Ryland Stiles from Locked On Thunder. Ryland, how are you, man? I'm doing good, Tony. How are you doing? I am doing well. I just watched the Pacers give up 158 to the Hornets two nights ago. But then I remembered that the Pacers scored 152 on the Thunder last season. And that made me remember that it does happen sometimes, that these embarrassing losses do in fact happen. Ryland, what are Thunder fans calling this game for the Thunder? You told me before we started recording. Right. After the uh, after the drumming of the Grizzlies, I am now resigned from saying it can't get worse. Because <laughs> obviously the Grizzlies drumming by like 70-something points, it can absolutely be worse. So everything comes around the NBA. But this game's exciting. And that might sound odd to your audience. It's not fully on the tank yet, but this game is very important for draft position, which is what Thunder fans care about. And so it's the tank game of the year. Uh, The only thing that can really rival it is the Clippers, who the Thunder own the Clippers unprotected pick as well. So with the Clippers kind of going downhill, uh, maybe those games get more interesting. But uh, the the Pacers, kind of one of your only shots at the Pacers to kind of get them a win in the, in this scenario. You want to lose this game for the Thunder and make sure you push the Clipper, uh, the, the Pacers further and further down that lottery order. Yeah, the between seven and four in the lotto order right now is OKC with 33 losses, Pacers 32, Kings 32, San Antonio 31, and really Houston's at 34. That's a big bunch. Like these games, and the Pacers are still trying to push for play, and Kiefer Sykes just mentioned that in an interview like two days ago. They're obviously still trying to win based on who they're playing. But holistically looking at it, you know, 
losing this game kind of can be important to, to stay in that race and in the thick of that race. It's kind of strange, though, because the Thunder are almost as good as the Pacers, despite not trying to be as good as the Pacers. Well, let me rephrase that. They're not trying to be good, and the Pacers are. And yet they're very similar in record. And the Thunder's record is not embarrassing. And some of that is that Shea is awesome, and some of that is that they've had some other surprising uh, talent this season. What has kind of been the the Thunder trajectory so far this year? I know they still have a pretty good record when Shea plays. How good is this OKC team? They're a uh, scrappy good. I, I mean, that this team, uh, the the newness of being in the NBA for most of them has not worn off yet. Even a guy like Kenneth Williams, who's 27 years old, he, he's really getting for the one of the first times ever huge impact minutes to where this is still all new and exciting, even for guys whose age does not reflect that of a young player you typically think of. And, and the center team just does not know how to quit. You, you see that with their uh, lead, league leading 15-plus point comebacks. You see that even when they get down 28 uh, Monday to the Bulls, and they storm back and have a shot at the buzzer to win the game. Uh, they, they storm back in that contest. So the, the newness of being in the league and and the kind of typical way of thinking about this in the league where you kind of roll over on given nights or have scheduled losses, that's not impacted them. They're young top to bottom. Their head coach is young. Their players are young. They play scrappy. And some of that kind of boost uh, of the record being not as embarrassing, I mean, look, John Hollinger, a well-respected mind who does some work with Lockdown Podcast Network, he said that they could be the worst team in league history before the season off of one preseason loss to the Bucs. And that was kind of the expectation, although not that dramatic, for the Thunder coming into this year. And they haven't done that because largely Josh Giddy, who started every game of this, of this season they has been healthy for, uh, has been phenomenal with that sixth pick. And uh, many people thought maybe it'd take him a few uh, you know, games at least, or years, but he's hit the ground running uh, as a member of the Thunder. And so he's been a huge upside improvement for the Thunder. And this team is just uh, a competitive one that fights every night. And in the NBA, oftentimes that's enough because there are going to be some teams who kind of look over you as a team that's projected to not be in the playoffs, uh, rest against you, or just simply sleepwalk in Oklahoma City uh, in front of a team that is tanking, as everyone knows. So all those factors come into the play, come into play whenever you think of this Thunder record as not as bad as we all thought. Yeah, certainly true. And calling them the worst team in the NBA before the season starts, like the day when Shea plays are still good. Like two years or his first year with you guys, you know, the, the Thunder were trying to be good. So he, they had a winning record when Shea played that year. They're 15 and 20 when Shea played last season. The, you know this stuff. I'm just for my listeners. Like that's a decent team. That's like a 30 something win team. This year, all every they've lost every game she hasn't played. Like they're still an they're not like good, but they're still an okay team when he plays. Like they're not calling them the worst team ever is a disservice to how good Shea is. And obviously, I love Lou Dort. Giddy's been awesome, like you said, as a rookie. I loved Josh Giddy in the pre-draft process. A lot of Pacers fans did not, and I also was hoping he would fall to 13. He did not get closer to falling to 13, which is interesting. So. Yeah, the, the Thunder are scrappy good. I I think that I try to watch every team, and I think the Thunder are the team I have watched the second least this season. I, I'm kind of upset about it because I love the Poku funk, but that's part of the reason I haven't watched the Thunder as much as I would like is because he's been hurt a lot this season. But uh, I, I need more Thunder vibes because they're a fun team to watch. And the Pacers are the opposite. They are not scrappy or fun. They have a weird mix of vets and young guys, too many vets to have – the record that they have they have an older head coach like it's weird how opposite these teams are at this juncture and yet their records almost exactly the same which is what makes this game super fascinating to me yeah i think that with the pacers it's a huge shock to me personally uh coming into the year i know that that doesn't really matter but i thought that 
Rick Carlisle taking that job. He's always successful in the regular season. We can talk about how he does in the postseason, but at least in the regular season, he's always successful. And then it felt like almost immediately that once once the season got going, it was time to trade Miles Turner and uh, Sabonis and move on from this package, which again shocked me because you think of Rick Carlisle and the stages that in his career, did he sign up for a rebuild? Did this thing just go completely off track to where they have really no other choice? Are they still even looking to make a trade with their big man? Like everything about the Pacers to me is confusing and a little uninteresting other than how they battle with the Thunder for the top overall pick. <laughs> but how do the how do the Pacers kind of view the season so far? Obviously, as a failure, I would imagine. Uh, but what is their future? Is there still a way to amend to to kind of amend this to where you can keep Sabonis and Turner and this is just one step back year for in return next year getting back to a playoff caliber team or better yeah it's obviously been a a very disappointing season for everyone involved and they all thought they'd be better right and every game they know it's kind of funny because it's not funny fans don't think it's funny I think it's funny as someone who sits in on all the pressers they 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 like they clearly are talented enough to be better than this they made the plan last year they made the playoffs with largely the same team two years ago and so they go on post-game medias after losing these games. And they've lost the league-leading amount by close margins. Like, they're very close to being a lot better. But that doesn't matter. They get up there and they say, oh, you know, tough loss. And we'll, we'll get them next time. We'll learn from this and get better. And like, yeah, that's all true. And then they say something like, still some season left for us to turn this around. And I'm like, not, not really, you know? Not, no, you know? They, and Scott Agnes, another beat reporter for this team, asked a while ago, he asked Karis LeVert, like, what, what point does that not become the case anymore? And he didn't give a concrete date. No one, no player ever would. But I thought that was a good question because now we're past that point. Like, it is way past the point where you can turn it around. You are what you are at this point. They're not very good. Super disappointing. Their direction should be slapping them in the face. They should obviously be, even if it's just for one season, just tear it down for one year and try to build it back up for next year, you're 13th in your conference. Like we talked about earlier, you're in the mix for a top seven, eight pick, whatever it is like that should seem like an obvious path. The Pacers organization has never been that they haven't picked in the top 10 since 1980s. So I don't know what they are going to do because doing the obvious thing is not something that they have done before. They've never tanked ever. Not saying that they won't though, because this is a very good opportunity to do it with, you know, very obvious trade options with, Turner and maybe Lavert and a bunch of vets who are good, but not necessarily good for a bad team. And you're already high up in the standings. And with the inclusion of the play in tournament, way more buyers on the trade market than there were in seasons past, as the Thunder have known for the last two seasons. So this is a really good opportunity for them to, even if it's just for a few months, which long-term plan as the Thunder know again is sometimes better. But even if it's just for a few months, it seems like it should be obvious what they're going to do. But they have never done that. And it's never obvious with this team. Their owner going on the record and saying that he thinks they can be built on the go certainly suggests that they won't rebuild. So I don't know what the Pacers are going to do, despite what seems like the obvious thing to do. And that's what makes this game so interesting is because they're probably going to try to win. And they should be more talented than the Thunder. But I've been saying they should be beating a lot of teams this season, and they don't. So even though the Thunder have the worst offense in the league, I feel like the Thunder can still win this game. Yeah, I think that this is a game that the Thunder can win. They're favored in this game by our good friends over at BetOnline.ag. Wow. Uh, so that's wow. telling for Pacers fans, I'm sure. Uh, and, and I just I trust Mark and this Thunder team to be more aggressive tonight. I trust them to be more prepared. I trust them to be more uh, to want it more than, than the Pacers do. So. If I had a bet right now, I'd, I'd take the Thunder in this game because of all those factors of 
It seems like the Pacers are lackadaisical, as you mentioned there, where it's always uh, the goalpost is always moving on when these games start to quote unquote matter. The Thunder, they want every single game. You're seeing Shea play 38 minutes a night, just trying his heart out to win these games and just, uh, you know, exhausted at the end of these games trying to win. And not that, not that these losses are wearing on him, but just that he's that kind of leader of this team door. He's not going to let them have a couple lazy performances. I can count on one hand over the last two years, even through all of this losing, even through these entire, entirely bad rosters at times, uh, how often this team looked disinterested. And two of them happened this year. So this team has a, under Mark, has, a, has an incredible track record of not looking disinterested. Playing at home, they've, they've been off since Monday. They've only had two practices this week. Uh, they're going to come out and fire, I'd imagine. And if the Pacers do not match that energy, I'd take the thunder in this one. It's very possible. We'll get a little more nitty-gritty in a second. But you just brought up our good friends over at betonline.ag. And I would like to talk about them a little more because they would like to wish you a happy new betting year as the March through the playoffs and beyond continues NFL championship weekend coming up. It's going to be super fun to watch all those star QBs and Jimmy Garoppolo play. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the sports wagering action. For 2022, it's a new year, and they've got a new updated desktop and mobile website for you to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus. All you got to do to get that 50% bonus with your first deposit is use our promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, to get started. They've got football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. BetOnline.ag, where... The game starts. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Whether you're here for Locked On Thunder or Locked On Pacers, thank you for making us your first listen every single day. And for your second listen, I did not breathe Rylan on this, but I will say, go check out Locked On Warriors to hear about all-star starter Andrew Wiggins. What crazy stuff. The Warriors guys will have all the takes on that. I mentioned a second ago, Ron, before we talk about the future of these teams, that the Thunder have the 30th ranked offense in the NBA, and their defense is good. They're 15th in the league. That's better than the Pacers' defense, which is, again, another crazy thing about this Pacers team this year. What are the Thunder bad at that the Pacers could potentially exploit to win this game? Well, they're terrible uh, at interior defense, and that showed on Monday well, well. as Vucevic uh, was incredible. And I praised the Thunder in that game against Vucevic because in the first half, really the first three quarters, uh, Vucevic was dominant. He looked like his all-star self. I mean, he had uh, tons of points, tons of rebounds, tons of blocks, and, and he was a living and, and the breathing part of the Bulls' offense. And then Mark decides to put a 6-7 wing on him in Kendrick Williams, and it worked. 
He thought outside the box. He did not go with the traditional feeling of, well, we have to lose with our with our quote unquote center because that's the way it's always been done. And there's nothing we can do. He put a small forward on, on, on the big man for Chicago and it worked down the stretch. Now, can you sustain that for the course of an entire game? Probably not, but the Thunder are going to have to get creative to stop inside forces uh, against teams. So that's the biggest area that teams can thrive on that. And also uh, the Thunder have uh, struggled at times to, to run teams off the three-point line, which might be a, a, a piece where they can be successful at. Uh, but really this team, on, this team's only flaw is their lack of shooting to where they can shoot themselves out of games. You know, The drive and kick passes lead the league in the, in the NBA for SGA, and he's a great offensive player, but – when you're driving and kicking to a guy who misses, what is it all for at times? Right, so right. Uh, the the Pacers' hope would be, again, interior uh, offense for them, and the Thunder just don't have it on, on this night shooting the basketball. Yeah, Pacers 26th in three-point percentage and still a full percentage and a half above the Thunder, who are last in three-point percentage this season. And the Pacers can relate to kicking to bad shooters because they have a bunch of possessions where they labor and kick it out to a wide-open three, and it's Torrey Craig shooting. And Torrey Craig is a fine player, but that's not necessarily an awesome possession, especially when you have to work hard for the shot. I think this game could, result-wise, come down to does Sabonis play, right? Because of what you just mentioned, the Thunder being bad at. Sabonis is officially listed as questionable. He's missed the last couple games for the Pacers with an ankle injury. I don't know if he'll play. They have a back-to-back Coming up, they have Dallas over the weekend and, you know, the, the Carlisle Bowl. Uh, so I wonder how the Pacers will get up for that. But, you know, if you recall the game I mentioned earlier where the Pacers hung 152 on OKC last May, Sabonis returned from injury that night and had 26, 19, and 14, right? Like, he killed them. And so I think he can do that again if he plays. And then I would pick the Pacers to win. If he doesn't play, you know, Goga Batadze is a nice guy, a player, and he's been having a nice stretch recently. In fact, probably the best stretch of his career – but he's not really good at taking advantage of mismatches and their backup big Isaiah Jackson during all these injuries can't take he can't really beat a matchup with his current skill set. So that could even be something that the Thunder don't need to struggle with if Sabonis doesn't play. So it could just be who shoots the three better. I'm not sure. We'll see. Yeah, and a big blow to the Thunder is that Derek Favors is out in this game. Uh, he's huh. been out for uh, the last week with a back injury. And although he's not incredible uh, as a defender down low, uh, and although he's still a little undersized that in certain matchups, uh, he's kind of the best the Thunder have, and he only plays in small spurts, but those small spurts uh, are good enough to help their interior defense. So he's out. So the Thunder are going to rely on 6'9 to 6'7 guys down on the rim, and we'll see how that goes. Darius Baisley has been an elite shot blocker this year. Maybe that can help on, on the help side defense from him, but ultimately, if Sabonis plays, I would imagine he has a big game, and I imagine the Pacers win. I think that it can come down to just Sabonis. So besides just Shea is awesome, but he is. What what are the Pacers going to struggle with with the Thunder? Uh, I think that with Josh Giddy, he just creates so much opportunity. Uh, he, he can pass with either hand. Uh, he can see things on the floor that hardly anyone in the league can see. He's not afraid to take a chance uh, on a cross-court skip pass from corner to corner, and he's an elite inbounder. And so off of that inbounding ability comes great uh, out-of-timeout plays or side-out plays. Uh, for the Thunder, they've been fantastic drawing those up as well. Uh, so besides SGA, you're looking at Kenneth Williams' impact off the bench. He's been huge on both ends of the floor, shooting uh, a career best in three, as Mike Muscala is as well. Uh, those two guys helping out. And then it comes down to, for the Thunder, Trey Mann and Ty Jerome off the bench. Trey Mann and Ty Jerome both can have lethal scoring nights, and, and Trey Mann specifically can score at three levels. And he has that beautiful step back three. He hits one almost every game, so we'll see if he can do that again. But for the Thunder, it's kind of a collective effort past Shea. It's just who's going to have the hot hand. And sometimes 
Nobody has a hot hand besides Shea, and, and that's just the bottom line. But there's a few guys who can make some things happen for the Thunder, and I think that uh, even Lou Dork getting hot from three and being more efficient as he was Monday from distance can really help this Thunder offense. So we'll see what brand of team the Thunder pull out in this game. Uh, final question for you about the Thunder. What is the first year of Josh Giddey's career where he averages a triple-double? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot to happen at some point, right? Like, it's a lot to happen. That's a great question. I, I think that the hardest part might be might be points for him because yeah, we're seeing. I him agree. Did he rebounder. have a, a zero point double double recently? Yeah, he had a zero point double double. He's an elite rebounder for a guard. Fantastic passer. That his numbers really should be better averages on assists because of just again the the Shea factor. If you drive and kick to somebody and they can't hit the shot, so so Shea suffers from that. Josh Giddy suffers from that. As this team gets more built up, you're going to see those assist numbers climb for both those guys exchanging the lead guard role. I think that it is a lock that that in a season at least, Josh Giddy will average a triple-double because we see this guy with a, such a hard work ethic, and he mentioned already he's self-aware to where he says, hey, I need to change my shot this offseason, but I can't really do that in season. There's not really a time to do that in NBA season when you're playing these games back-to-back. So he's going to go in this offseason and, and reconstruct his shot, and if he becomes a league-average three-point shooter, that's enough because – his floater game is already elite. Off of that comes lob passes and comes dump off passes down low that he can make. And, and he can really score at the rim as well. So I think that with Josh Giddy, it will happen. And he is a blue chip prospect that uh, and I'm glad you were very high on him pre-draft. Uh, I, was, I was not as high. I was high on him for the Pacers selection, not necessarily at six. Uh, but he's proved me wrong. He has, to me, a Jason Kidd outlook. I, I've been comparing him to Jason yeah, Kidd since the start of this season. I think that that is kind of the career that he can have if everything goes well. So I am very high on Josh getting now, not, not as early as you were high on him, but I've gotten there. And again, I, I've compared him to Josh, uh, to Jason Kidd a ton. So I'm looking forward to his career. I really am. So I did the, uh, my, my Pacers trade deadline primer preview, whatever you want to call it podcast two days ago. And I had one thunder player in my Pacers targets. I would target list. Can you guess who I, who it was? If you didn't listen already. I, I have not listened yet. I'm going to get on that, but that's totally fine. I'm hoping it's not SGA because if that at that point it's I have to not, just explode, I would not. say it's not Josh Giddy considering that he's a rookie and you wouldn't target a rookie. I'm going to take a stab at Lou Dort because I I think that you're an outside the box thinker and you're not going to just go with Kenny Hustle or Mike Muscala. So let's go Lou Dort. <laughs> it was not Lou Dort, although I I love me some Lou Dort. I it, it is weird. How many Thunder players I have a, a basketball crush on? Uh, it was not Lou Dort, and I will tell you now. It is Darius Baisley. And I know that Bays has a lot of flaws in his game, uh, has yet to become an efficient play finisher or anything like that. But I think that the Pacers are bereft of athleticism, and he is an athletic wing for sure, and he's coming around on defense a little bit. So he certainly has got a ways to go being an offensive threat of any kind, but I like the skills he has and thinks he would fit well with the Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson plus stuff core the Pacers would be building. What kind of price would Baisley have if he's even available? Tony, 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 my heart is fluttering right now. I am, I am typing an email as we speak to our boss, Nick Engstead, asking him to make you the co-host of Locked on Thunder. And let's just <laughs> let's just take over a day of Locked on NBA, too. Let's just I do it, it together in this sphere because I – am the founding member of the Building Block Baisley Committee. I have a love affinity for, for Darius Baisley. Wow. 
and Thunder fans want to give him away for a bag of basketballs. So, Deal. So, uh, well, so <laughs> you, you just brought up the most controversial topic of this season for the Thunder. Some fans love and support Baisley and want to see him continue to grow. Some fans want him waived from the team. That is how divisive wow. Darius Baisley is from this fan base. Personally, wow. I really like what he's done. He struggles to be consistent offensively, and he struggles to be any sort of good offensively. Uh, but defensively, he's elite. Uh, he, he does certain things that you just cannot match. And you mentioned that athletic ability. I worry about if Rick Carlisle would, would allow him to work through those problems <laughs> as we've seen. But uh, I think that a change of scenery can do him good. He has all the tools he just needs to get the results, right? The process is there. The ability yeah. is there. He's not getting results, though. And sometimes players never get those results, but sometimes just a minor tweak can have the results that they're looking for. So I do think he's an interesting trade target, though, because the Thunder picked up his option, although the Thunder typically do not like paying guys who are not going to be slam dunk guys. You look at Hamdou Diallo, who was fantastic last year at the start of the year. He had phenomenal games in New York. He had phenomenal games to start the season, a borderline starter for that team last year, and they trade him for Sue McKay-Luke. They don't resign, and the Pacers resign Hamadou. He's had some nice games this year in Detroit. Obviously, you're not kicking yourself for trading Hamadou Diallo. You weren't going to pay him anyway. You got a flyer's fee and, and a second-round pick for Hamadou Diallo. And so the Thunder have that track record of, if we're not totally in love with somebody, let's just get something for him and restart that cycle restart that process so i do think that he's an under the radar kind of guy and i'm glad i called it that you're going to think outside the box here i think he's an under the rated under the radar target because of sam Percy's history with trading away those guys who maybe he's not in love with with extending uh, but ultimately do keep basically past the deadline although the asking price wouldn't be that much i don't think i think that trading basically who you're going to view as a flyer prospect that, that is not really produced but has upside you just be looking for that same thing in return. Who's a guy that has one more year that we can play with that is a flyer prospect that maybe hasn't panned out yet, but we think if we get him with our staff and our organization, we can unlock him. And if we don't, who really cares? It's a nothing for nothing swap at that point. Yeah, maybe it'd be Goga Batadze then. I mean, he fits that bill kind of well. But I was going to say that the trouble for a Baisley trade, given what I perceive his value to be, and like obviously he's flawed. His value's not that high. Pacers' first-round pick is way too high for him. And I was about to say, they don't have any good second rounders, so they can't do that. But their own second rounder is kind of good. I forgot that I'm covering a bad team again. Um, so that, but that doesn't feel like, I don't know, that doesn't feel like quite enough. You know, I think you'd agree with that. So I, it's a tough medium to, to find. Maybe Goga's the salary too. I mean, that could work perfectly, but I just think Baisley's awesome. And he, he was my guy. You have a pacer that apparently Thunder fans want to trade for. And we should talk about that and then talk about team building strategy. But first, Ryland, it's a Locked On podcast. We got to talk about the great folks over at Built Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars ever. And so many Locked On Pacers listeners have told me they love them. Ryland, do you have a favorite flavor of Built Bar? Cookies and cream, no doubt about it. I love cookies and cream Built Bar. That is a great choice. Uh, Mine is peanut butter brownie, although I love the cookie dough. And I know Chris Manning over at Locked On Cavs also loves the cookie dough. They are protein bars that taste like candy bars probably better than candy bars. They're good meal replacements. They're good snack replacements. And they just make it easy to stick to your New Year's resolution if you've got one for losing weight or something like that because they taste so good, you'll want to eat it. Most of them have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, but 17 grams of protein. All better stats than candy bars. And again, 100% covered in real chocolate. You've got to try them out yourself. 
Go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. You'll get 15% off your order of Built Bars. That promo code, again, is LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Thank you, as always, for making either Locked on Thunder or Locked on Pacers your first listen today and every single day. Rylan told me this before we started, but apparently some Thunder fans have a Pacers player they would like to target in trades. Rylan, please share more with both my listeners and your own. Again, there's a few divisive topics with the Thunder fan base. One of them is Darius Baisley, who you mentioned that Goga and a second round pick might be too low for. Some Thunder fans would say that's way too high of a payment to make for the Pacers. So you know, he is very controversial. But another one is the fact that since you have so much draft capital stored up and fans do not like losing and tanking teams, rightfully so, anytime a player becomes available, they say, how do we get them? How do the Thunder get them? Can the Thunder go get them? It's like, well, the Thunder can go get almost anybody with the draft assets that they have <laughs> anything that wants draft picks wow that wants to rebuild. that's a fun question i would like to think about at some point who could the thunder not trade for but that's not what you're talking about keep going right with the, the pacers the first initial report that turner or sabonis was going to be shipped out immediately thunder fans start going to twitter asking me in the comment section what can the thunder do should the thunder get them how can the thunder get them leading to go get Sabonis. Now, again, this, there's also a portion of the fan base that still wants Ben Simmons. So I, I, I'm not going to elevate it that high, but I, it did pique my interest as we do this crossover, kind of what you view Sabonis's value to be and also what you view the Pacers' motivations to be. Because you mentioned it here on the show throughout the course of it that it's confusing. You don't really know what the, what the Pacers' idea is because if the Pacers' idea is not to rebuild and to not get and build through the draft, what do the Thunder have that can match the bonus's value? Because you don't want to give up Shea or Josh Giddy. That's at best a neutral move, if not a downgrade for the Thunder. You don't really want to give up Blue Dort. You don't really want to give up uh, you know, any of these uh, players like that. So you really just have draft picks and hardly any sweeteners. Obviously for you, you like Baisley, so Baisley's turned into a sweetener for you. But past Baisley, what other sweetener can the Thunder throw in there? So unless the Pacers want to be overwhelmed with draft picks, there's not a feasible way in my mind to get Sabonis. What is your take on what it would take to move Sabonis at the deadline? Yeah, I, I've kind of stood with this take for a, a full season now, but the Magic's trade for Vucevic, that is the exact blueprint to me. Because last year, Vooch was a, a tiny bit better than Sabonis, I would say. Maybe not even. And he was older, right? They were both all-stars. They are both the, probably the second and first worst all-stars on the Eastern Conference team, but they were both all-stars, talented centers. And Vooch fetched the Magic two firsts, Wendell Carter, and salary filler. Otto Porter doesn't matter for the sake of this discussion. So that's kind of the guys I've used for a Sabonis trade. And that's what the reported price is. Actually, honestly, it sounds like a little higher that the Pacers are wanting. And I get why. He's only 25. So that is kind of what I would be shooting for is a, a well-established, good young player. Not necessarily like a guaranteed stud. Like Wendell Carter is good, but he's not like... Change in the magic's fortune or anything, and then two firsts. And so 
the Thunder have a million firsts, but you know, the parting with the right ones is important. Like that Detroit one's probably gonna have quite a bit of value, and that unprotected Clippers pick is looking really juicy this season. You know, those are probably like stuff that the, the Thunder don't want to give up, but they've got some other interesting ones, plus all their own. They have young guys, but the pro that's where I think the hardest part of, of making this trade is, is either they're in the tier that you described already of like the the Shea Giddy tier where it's like way too much. You're not doing that. Or it just drops to a point of, I guess Lou Dort might be in the middle here, but you know, it drops to a point of like, eh, that's not enough of a established young piece to do this for the Pacers. So yeah, I think that the Thunder have the assets, like I said, to get literally anybody basically. But I don't know if there's a perfect fit between these teams, especially because I think the Pacers want to be back to pretty dang good pretty quickly. The Thunder would need to find a team that just cares about the draft and <laughs> not yeah. a lot about young players because there's not really a foreseeable way to get non-good young players or at least non-great young right. players, right? So the Thunder have Giddy and Shea, and you don't want to part with them because they're going to be blue chip guys. You might consider parting with Ludor for the right person. And then past those guys, you have Tail Malvon. Pokashevsky, right? What does that really do for a team along with draft picks? And then in the Pacers scenario, if, you, if you're agreeing to take on a ton of draft picks from the Thunder, you're agreeing to build to the draft. So how much does Kenneth Williams help you? How much does Mike Muscala help you? Those are two names right. that teams would want and teams can, can win with, but not two teams that rebuilding teams necessarily need. And so you can get kind of a better offer elsewhere. I think that for the Thunder stuff, you need a team that wants to admit, we're not going to go to the playoffs anytime soon. Let's just hard reset and figure it out, and this is our, our best bet right here. So uh, the Clippers pick, though, was interesting, though, because the Clippers pick, to me, you view right now with, with the injuries to Kawhi and Paul George as the most important and the most valuable Clippers pick of that entire package, that For historic sure. package to get uh, you know SGA and, and to trade Paul George over there to L.A. However, they're finding ways to win. They're finding ways to be scrappy and to, and to make these comebacks like they did against Washington this week. So... You can gamble a bit if you're into that sort of thing and, and trade that pick at the deadline in two weeks. And it seems like, oh my gosh, we just got a first round pick from the Clippers who don't have Kawhi or Paul George. But then the Clippers still continue to be a young, scrappy team and you trade away a, a tenth, you know, a tenth pick instead of a sixth pick. Uh, the same similar thing happened to the Thunder last year where they were just a young, scrappy team. And until Shea got hurt and they were forced to shut him down, they couldn't lose games. They, they just couldn't do it. They were supposed to be a bottom three team and get the hikes that, that were at the top of the draft, like a K Cunningham. And instead, they were at pick six and lost until, luckily, they picked up Josh Giddy and salvaged that uh, lack of lottery luck. So you're betting on the lottery luck being bad for the Clippers, and you're betting on that team winning just enough games to where, yeah, it's a good pick, but it's not fifth. It's not fourth. It's not third. Right. Like, how far realistically can this Clippers team climb up the tankathon ladder whenever they keep winning these scrappy games like they did against Washington? Yeah, that that's completely fair, and I understand why they'd be willing to part with it. But I, I just think in general, especially we also like the salary fillers kind of hard for the Thunder too, who are below below the salary floor. I'm not going to get into the nerdy minutia of they're above the salary cap but below the salary cap floor. That would take me too long to explain. We can do a whole other podcast on that at some point. But that is true. They are both for for Pacers listeners who don't know about the Thunder salary cap situation, they are above the cap legally but they are below the salary floor in terms of spending. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Their team building strategy has been hysterical. I mean, Derek favors, I guess is salary, but it's really hard to cobble together enough to make it completely match. So I think it's possible if the thunder really were motivated to get to bonus to make it happen, but also at the juncture they're at, it doesn't make sense to me that they would do it. So I don't know that that's necessarily a great trade fit. 
Yeah, I think that the Thunder traded on strategy is just let the market dictate itself, right? I, I think that with Kenneth Williams, he's a 27-year-old that can shoot, that can play uh, multiple positions and defend multiple positions, and a guy that teams would really want. But the Thunder, when to trade him, when he was only making $2 million and he wants to be in Oklahoma City, he says publicly he wants to retire here, that he loves the organization. He can be that culture-sending guy, a guy who comes in night in and night out and does the dirty work. Well, with the asking price of a first-round pick, uh, you're likely just going to let the market decide for you. And you're not going to you're going to take that decision out of your hands because if you get right. a first-round pick for a guy who was a salary cap throw-in to get Steve Adams to New Orleans and a guy who almost didn't make the team last year, you're going to need a first-round pick for him. You have to take that. And if you don't, you say, okay, well, we want this guy long-term anyway, so who cares that we need a first-round pick? So I think that that's going to be the Thunder's role. And also the Thunder's role would be as a third team to help out the Pacers trade Sabonis. And maybe the Thunder themselves aren't getting Sabonis, but they're helping another team do it. Because I have it right. from multiple sources that the Thunder are looking to use the open roster spot that they created by just cutting Gabriel Deck to take on two salaries and do two-for-one trades and take on the worst contracts in the league in order to get draft capital and, and better assets. So they're going to improve their return, even on a Darius Baisley trade, return their, re, improve their return by saying, okay, we're going to give you Baisley and take away your worst contract. And then maybe that elevates his status as well. Not that Baisley will get moved or anything, but just a prime example of how taking on salary helps the Thunder. And so they're looking to do that with that open roster spot and that weird quirk in the cap where they're under the salary cap floor by $23 million. So we're looking to take on a ton of money here at the deadline. And so it just comes down to how can they help? How can they facilitate the market in a ton of different trades like Kenny Hustle and also like facilitating a third team trade, hopping in there like Cleveland hopped in and got Allen my last uh, last trade deadline. So that's kind of the Thunder's role in all of this. They're fascinating from their salary cap situation and pick situation. The Thunder are just so fascinating from a team building perspective to me. I have one more question for you, Rylan, and it is not related to this game or a specific trade. And it's not even really something that's like easy to answer or has a concrete answer. But the Thunder as an organization have done something interesting. And that is after KD left, they re... You can correct me if these words are incorrect in your head. After KD left, they retooled. They built a whole different team around Russell Westbrook, and they tried to be good and and make that team go far, and they lost in the first round a couple times in a row. And then they just said, screw it, this isn't working, and they traded Russ, and now they're doing this Presti-off thing. I don't know what to call it. It pre- it's, it's incredible how many picks they have. This tanking, success, rebuild, complete rebuild thing. And the Pacers are at a point where the reporting said they were going to rebuild, and then their owner said, no, we're not. We're going to retool. And the Pacers have always retooled. And I'm just curious in general about your thoughts between fan interest and winning in the regular season versus not winning at all but building for the future thing. How do you view those two plans and which one? You know, both of these teams are small market teams. What do you view? How do you view team building now that you've seen the Thunder go through both of those strategies? Well, it's a lot easier to employ the retool strategy whenever you're left with Russell Westbrook, a top three player of all time. I, I know that he gets made fun of a lot nowadays, but you got to think this was years ago, right? Whenever they retooled around Russell Westbrook, he was still an elite player and he, he still can be elite at times. And, and again, it's just easier whenever you're left in the dust with, oh yeah, we have another top 25 player. of another transcendent talent whenever one just walked out the door. That's a lot easier for the Thunder and also had a perfect storm happen where you get Sabonis and Oladipo for nothing from, from the Magic you know, with Oladipo and the Serge Ibaka trade. You get Oladipo for nothing. And then all of a sudden, Paul George wants out of Indiana at the perfect time, only one year after 
uh, you only had to suffer one year without a co-star for us. And on that season, he went nuclear and had a triple double, uh, triple double averages and things like that uh, of, of that nature. So you had all that happen. And then right after that season, Paul George wants to leave Indiana and he wants to come to Oklahoma city with Russell Westbrook. That kind of sounds good to him after you trade all the depot and sit bonus for him. Two guys who, again, were just kind of shots in the dark for lack of a better word. Uh, and, and you go with the Paul George thing. And then two months later, a, a Hall of Famer, Carmelo Anthony, Anthony, once out of New York, and Carmelo Anthony, who had a no-trade clause, was a lock for the Hall of Fame, is still a lock for the Hall of Fame. He says, you know what? Sure, I'll go to Oklahoma City. Put him on the list of, of teams I'll go to. Carmelo Anthony wants to go to Oklahoma City? Okay. <laughs> a team that's never gotten to sign you know, any top free agents, even while having KD and Russell Westbrook. Uh, a team that got turned down by, by, Mike, uh, by uh, Mark Gasol for not having a, a, a good enough theater, right? So, that's what the Thunder were dealing with whenever they decided to retool around Russ. And he's also, again, a transcendent talent and wanted to be here still and wanted to kind of make this organization his own. And then you lose the jazz in the first round with that, with that core. And then the next year, Paul George has an MVP type season and he loses in the first round to Portland injuries aside, it's still a first round exit uh, and it's still not ending the way you want to end. And then you had the tantalizing nature of LA's opening up with the Clippers and they can get Kawhi. And then Paul George secretly wants to go to LA and, they worked the back channels of not publicly demanding a trade. The Thunder really was, that was their best piece of work right there is by not allowing the trade to get out and not allowing the demands of the trade from both Russ yeah. and Paul George. Yeah, the Pacers know all about uh, public Paul George trade demands. Right, right. <laughs> if Paul George simply takes that to Woj first and not Sam Presti, the Thunder don't get half of what they got for Paul George. Yeah, they might be still retooling instead of rebuilding. Exactly. So so I think that, that, nature, that all of that had factored in, right? And then... You get the Chris Paul team that was not supposed to be good. That had a 0.2% chance to go to the playoffs. Nobody thought they'd be good. We thought that, that was going to be the first year of the tank. And then they, you know, before the pandemic, were fighting for home court advantage in the playoffs. The the Thunder ride of, of team building has taken many different turns because you thought that the team would crumble after after KD. You thought the team would crum, crumble after the Paul George trade. And you got an old Chris Paul who people were down on on that Westbrook swap with Chris Paul. And they never would crumble. And then last year, I thought they'd be awful and be the lock for the top over, you know, top overall pick for Cade Cunningham. And then they hung around too long, and they had a resurgence from Al Horford, had a resurgence from George Hill before his thumb injury, and then you had SGA emerge into a star. And so ultimately, though, uh, I prefer the tanking method that they're doing now than just trying to patchwork it together because it's hard to win the NBA. The Thunder had Russell Westbrook and Paul George in their primes at the same time, and it resulted in them not getting past the first round. So retooling around Shea, sure, they could retool around Shea. He's good enough to get them to the play-in every single year and the playoffs every single year and to win 40 games or whatever it takes to get to the playoffs. He's not good enough on his own to go to the NBA championship. Not even Russell Westbrook and Paul George were. So to me, I think that you just tear it all down and get Shea as much help as you can. And in a market like Oklahoma City, and I hope I'm not bashing Indiana by saying this, but a market like Indiana as well, the best way to acquire those stars is through the draft and through draft capital, whether that be selecting Josh Giddy or trading for a star using that draft assets in the future for the next NBA disgruntled star that's always around the corner that wants out of their situation. So to me, I love the tanking aspect of it. From a fan perspective, uh, I can see where it dips off and declines, but the really diehard fans kind of understand in our case scenarios with Indiana and Oklahoma that this is kind of just the way it is. Right or wrong, that's kind of the way the NBA works. But yes, I can see where fan interest declines 
whenever your team is purposely trying to lose and purposely not putting the best product that they can on the floor. Yeah, well, that makes sense and is kind of what I expected you to say, frankly. And, uh, you know, here's here's the thing I always say about about tanking. Like, it's 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 pretty clearly a good plan, right? It works. It, 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 not, it doesn't guarantee you success. Like, Philly still hasn't made the conference finals, but it worked. Like, they have a stud. They have a Hall of Famer. The thing is, I hate that the NBA has created a system where being awful on purpose for a while is is a good strategy. You know, that's what I hate about it. And that like, it's morally stupid to me that a sport is like, yes, go be bad. It will work out for you in the long term. And it's going to be hard just because of how basketball is played and how much one player can change entire games to ever fix it. But that, that's my beef with tanking. If I, if I had one. So that's why I'm always like less into it and less rosy about it. That said, yeah, if the Pacers did it this year, it'd be, it'd be smart in their situation. So I think it's more likely that they try to do some sort of retool or mini build on the fly kind of thing and try to be good next year, but it would not be a bad idea. And I think that there are merits to, okay, let's just strip this down to the bare bones and okay, we've got Duarte and Isaiah Jackson. Let's go from there and see what we can do. But yeah, I, I, it's a fascinating thing and it, it's fascinating how the NBA is like, yeah, we don't care if teams tank. It, it's fine with us. So yeah, that that's my thoughts there. Your answer was very interesting to me. Got anything else about this game, about the Pacers, about the Thunder before we go? I'm wishing Sabonis and the Pacers all the best. I am fascinated <laughs> by Rick Carlisle's decision to go to Indiana and then they start to rebuild, retool, or do whatever this is that you're going to be calling it. I think that the Pacers are very interesting. I do enjoy listening to Lockdown Pacers and your work at Lockdown NBA. So best of luck to the Pacers tonight. I'm rooting for the Pacers to win the game. Oh, hey. So hopefully that curries in favor with your audience. There you go. Uh, you can follow Rylan, everybody. And if you're listening to Locked on Thunder, I feel weird introducing you for you. So just where can people follow you and your stuff? You can follow me at Rylan underscore styles on Twitter. And for Tony's audience, you can follow him at, at T East NBA on Twitter <laughs> as well. That's right. And our shows are at Locked on Thunder or at Locked on Pacers. Very easy ads for those things. Hope everybody has a great upcoming weekend. We'll be talking more about our respective teams come Monday. And we will see you then. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.